the light has come. Six times in our passage, the Apostle John speaks of light. The birth of Jesus is the story of the coming of the true light. This is why so many of our Christmas carols sing about light. Oh, come, thou dayspring, come and cheer. Our spirits by thine advent here disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Silent night, holy night, Son of God, love's pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. The coming of the word made flesh into the world is the coming of light. Now, in order for us to more fully appreciate what this means for us, John wants us to see three things about who Jesus is, which he mentions in his prologue. First, John wants us to see that Jesus existed before Jesus was born. He opens his gospel with, in the beginning. This is how John begins the Christmas story. Mark begins with Jesus' baptism. Luke begins with the angel Gabriel telling Mary that she's going to conceive and give birth to the Son of God. Matthew begins even earlier. He begins with God's promises to King David, David and Abraham. But John goes back even further. He goes back to the very beginning. In fact, John begins before the beginning. In the beginning was the word. It was already there. The logos. John uses this word logos very strategically. In John's day, the word logos was used by both Jews and Greeks. To the Jews, the logos was considered to be God's self-revelation. The logos was that by which the living God created the universe and communicates with humanity. Like we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then God said. He spoke. God creates by speaking. To the Greek philosophers, the Logos was thought of as the highest ideal, the integrating principle of the universe, ultimate truth that can only be accessed through reason. Through the Logos, the laws of nature were established and maintained, and the Logos gives life meaning and purpose. Now, neither Jews nor Greeks saw the Logos as God. The highest theology would have seen the Logos as the tool in and through which the living God acts in the world. But in no way did anyone believe that the Logos was personal, which is what makes what John is saying in his prologue so shocking. He uses the word Logos in a personal way. Look at verse 14, if you have a, a Bible. The Logos became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John wants us to see that Jesus is the self-revelation of God, the creative, intelligible word of God made flesh, the integrating principle of the universe, ultimate truth, the one who upholds the laws of nature and gives life 
meaning, and purpose. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. Next, John refers to the Logos as the only begotten. Verse 14, the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father. And then in verse 18, no one has ever seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is at the Father's side has revealed him or explained him. C.S. Lewis pointed out that the verbs beget and create, they speak of two very different realities. To create is to bring into existence something other than yourself. It expresses something of who you are, but it's not who you are. To beget is to bring into existence something like yourself. What we beget is an extension of who we are. Birth create nests, and they beget chicks. Beavers create dams, and they beget beaver, little beavers. Uh, we create houses and roads and cars and computers, cell phones, space stations, and we beget other human beings. In the same way, God both creates and begets. God created everything that exists. He created us in his image for the purpose of being in fellowship with himself and reflecting his goodness and his character. But what God creates is not God. We are not God. Only what God begets is like God in his essence. And this is what makes Jesus so unique. Jesus is God's only begotten son. The author of Hebrews says, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus, the Logos made flesh, is God's only begotten son. Through him, all things were made. The only begotten one created everything. The Logos spoke the universe into being. Therefore, everything that has life and breath owes its life and breath to the Logos. To him who became flesh, to Jesus, the eternally begotten Son of the Father, begotten not made, begotten in the womb of a virgin. John wants us to see that Jesus existed before he was born. He's the only begotten Son of God, and in him was life. There are two words in Greek for life. You've probably heard me preach this before, if you've heard me preach it all, because it's important for us to, to hear it over and over again. There's this, this word that, that, that's used in, in Greek, bios life, and there's another word for life, zoe life. Bios life is created life. It's the life that we share in common with all living things. It's the life that we inherited from our parents. And as we all know, bios life eventually runs down, decays, and then it dies. Zoe life is different. Zoe life is uncreated life. It cannot be reproduced or manipulated like bios life. It is the life that God has within himself, and this kind of life can never run down. It can never decay, and it can never die. John is telling us that in him, in the Logos, in the only begotten Son, was life, was Zoe. The eternal Logos entered our world, taking on our bios life, and he would grow up to say, I am the way, the truth, and the Zoe. 
I am the uncreated, eternal, indestructible life, and I've come to share this life with you. This is what John tells us in his first letter in chapter 5, verse 12. He says, the one who has the Son has Zoe, has life. The one who does not have the Son does not have Zoe. Speaking to his disciples outside Lazarus's tomb, Jesus proclaims, I am the resurrection and the Zoe. Those who believe in me will live even though they die. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Never die. Why? Because those who have Jesus, those who have Jesus, have Zoe. And they cannot die even when they enter the grave. Those who only have bios will eventually run out of bios. But whoever has Zoe will never die. Now, what does all this have to do with the coming of the light? Well, in John chapter 1, verse 4, he writes, In him was life, and the life was the light of humankind. Zoe is light. Like the sun radiates light, Zoe himself radiates light. The life is light. And when he takes on our flesh, he makes another claim that changes everything. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of life. The light of Zoe. Light that is life. He who was coming into the world, says John, the true light that gives light to all people was coming into the world, into the cosmos. Yes, into the material space-time world that he has made, but also into the world that we have made. When John refers to the world, he's using this word cosmos, which is a reference to human society organizing itself without God, without Zoe, without the light. The Logos, who is life and light, was coming into the cosmos, coming into human society that wants nothing to do with the light. This is amazing grace. This is the gospel. This is what makes John 3.16 so remarkable. For God so loved the cosmos. God so loved human uh, society organizing itself without God that he gave his only begotten son. That is, he gave himself for what God begets is God. That whoever believes in him should not perish. Perish is what happens to the cosmos when it rejects God, when it turns from the light. But whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting zoe. The light has come, and it continues to come, helping us see and helping us make sense of the darkness and the world that we're living in right now. How does, how does this happen? How does, it, how does he help us see? Well, because the light has come and continues to come, we now can know who God is. The Logos, who is the light, has made him known. Jesus makes the invisible God known. He is the face of the living God. Show us the Father, the disciples ask. Jesus responds, have I been with you so long and yet you do not know me, 
He who has seen me has seen the Father. The living God, according to St. Paul, dwells in unapproachable light. And yet he has stepped out of the light as the light that we might know who he is and what he's like. Jesus is just like God the Father, and the Father is just like Jesus. The Father is just as kind as Jesus. The Father is just as merciful as Jesus. The Father is just as generous as Jesus. Because the light has come, we can now know who God is. Because the light has come, we can now know who we are. Uh, Currently, there is a cultural war raging around the idea of what it means to be human. There's never been more confusion than there is today about what it means to be a human being. The good news is that we don't need to be confused because when we look at Jesus, we see who we were created to be. What Jesus said in reference to knowing the Father, he can say in reference to knowing us. They who see me see who they really are. When we come to know who Jesus is, we discover our true selves. Because the light has come and it continues to come, we know now how to live in the world. The, life, the light of life has shown us in our flesh what life is all about. Jesus lives life as life was designed to be. In his Sermon on the Mount, he shows us that life is all about relationships. He shows us how to live in relationship with his Father. He shows us how to live with him in his relationship with his Father. He shows us how to, how to love one another, even our enemies. He shows us how to deal with our anger and our lust. He shows us how to resist the urge to retaliate and to seek revenge. He shows us how to trust And how to pray. What he does is he takes hold of our desires. And by his grace, he redirects them to seek first the kingdom of God. And then to build our lives on his word like a wise person would build their house on a rock. When we listen to Jesus and put into practice what he says, we find strength to be in the world and yet not of the world. Because the light has come and continues to come, we now know why the world grows so dark. The darkness can feel feel very overwhelming at times. For all our advancements in science and technology and education, humanity is suffering just as as much as as it ever has. In fact, it seems to be growing in many ways. The gap between the rich and the poor is, is still widening. The earth is still being threatened by global warming. The options for new addictions continue to multiply. War and violence and hatred are still raging. If Jesus is the light of the world, then why is there still so much darkness? Because the light has not yet been received. We just sang it. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Has every heart prepared him room? Has the earth received her king? No. The darkness will continue to remain 
until the light is received. And this brings us to another point. Because the light has come and continues to come, the darkness cannot win. John says in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. The light shines and it will continue to shine. Nothing can snuff it out. Not darkness, not evil, not even death. The light is not a weak flicker like the light of a candle that can be easily snuffed out. The light of the world cannot be snuffed out, though many have tried. On the cross, it looked like the darkness had overcome, but on Easter morning, the light of the world rose from the darkness and declared, do not be afraid. I was dead, but look, I am alive forevermore. The light of the world cannot be overcome. In 1939, King George VI read a poem by Minnie Louise Haskins during the, his Christmas Day message. It really struck a chord with the country because they were facing the uncertainty of war and there was this threat of darkness and gloom covering the land. This is what the poem reads. And I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be for you better than light and safer than a known way. So I went forth and finding the hand of God, trod gladly into the night and he led me towards the hills and the breaking of the day on the lone east. Friends, as we come to the end of another year, we've been through a lot, haven't we? We've, we've experienced a lot of challenges as a community. We have witnessed the darkness within and without. It seems to be growing we are invited to take the hand of the Logos made flesh, the only begotten Son of God. And as we walk with him, he shares his life, his Zoe with us. And by his light, he's helping us see everything else. And he will guide us into the yet-to-be-revealed goodness that is God's perfect will for us individually and corporately as a church. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.